Father, this morning we come to you. We have always we have to come to you. Because you are the author of our faith. We are not called to live by sight. We are called to live by faith. And you are the author of our faith. The perfecter of our faith. The finisher of our faith. And faith can only come from hearing from you. And from your word. You have magnified your word above all your name. This morning we want to magnify your word above everything else in your life. Today these five children have come because they are magnifying your word above everything else. Because baptism is not a suggestion. It is a command. And today they are coming to obey that command. And all of us who are here who have been baptized are reminded of that command. So, Father, I pray you speak to us. Continue to teach us, Lord, because these ordinances are not simple. They are profound. They don't just last for a day or a lifetime. It will impact our eternity forever and ever. This decision. It will leave its impact for all of eternity. So just like the marriage vow, we don't take it lightly. We take it very seriously. So help us, God, to walk in that covenant we made with you that day all of us were baptized and these five children are making with you today. For officially, they are entering into the new covenant. The covenant that you purchased and sealed with your blood. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 If you come to Hebrews chapter 6 and verses 1 and 2. 6, 1 and 2. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of the doctrine of baptisms. Everything that God has commanded and mandated in the Bible, remember behind that there is a doctrine. It's a doctrine. So it is important to know when you're obeying something which God has asking you to do, it is important to know the doctrine behind it. Doctrine behind it. That's the teaching behind it. The principles, the precepts, why God tells us to do something. There's a doctrine behind it. And we realized when the church first got baptized on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, and after that they gathered to learn the apostles' doctrine. Doctrine. Sometimes you will realize, though you've been in church and listening, post-baptism you will understand doctrine better. Doctrine better. Okay, so baptism, 
there is a doctrine behind baptism. Why is God asking us to do certain things? We look at a typical setting because there are different settings, baptisms in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8, we'll read from verse 26 okay, to 34. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. See, arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer, it is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other? It's a typical setting, okay? Typical setting. So we also need to have the discernment and the guidance of the Holy Spirit where he will always, if we ask him, he will always give us an opening how to give the gospel to somebody. People will ask us a question. And you can use that opening to give Jesus as the answer. Okay? This is what it actually means to be spirit-led. Because when he comes, Jesus said, he will glorify me. can be absolutely sure when the spirit leads you, you will glorify Jesus. The glorification of Jesus is going to happen here in this setting. Okay, and it's absolutely spirit-led. Okay, now if you go to verse thirty-five, this is what he does. Then Philip opened his mouth and, beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Okay, so that's what we are called to do. We preach Jesus because God's answer to every problem of man, from the penalty of sin to the last problem you can think about is Jesus. He doesn't give us answers. He gives his son as the answer. So even salvation is not a doctrine in itself. It is a person. Because the Bible says, as many as who received him, to them God gave them the authority to become the children of God. So Philip is preaching Jesus here. And that should be, keep it in mind, all those who are baptized, okay, we are part of that great commission. Okay, we are part of that great commission. And we live as witnesses. Every opportunity you get, you get out of your house, you go somewhere, just pray. Just leave it to God. 
you will run into somebody. The Spirit will lead you into somebody where they will have a question. Maybe, why are you so happy? Or maybe, why do you look so downcast? You should have an answer for both. I'm so happy because Jesus set me free. I'm so downcast because he hasn't set many free. And when I think about them, I am downcast. I have joy inside, but I am also a man of sorrows. I've been anointed above my companions with joy, the oil of gladness, but also I am known as a man of sorrows. That is our dual identity in Christ Jesus. We have the joy. God is my father. I know where I am going, but he have this sorrow. There is so many whom we know and we love who haven't come through that door. Haven't come through that door. That grief we carry with to our deathbed. It's only in heaven, in Revelation 22, he wipes our tears away. Okay, this will be there. This will be there. So, you always look for an opening. Always look for an opening. Go with that. Those who are baptized, you are a witness. You are a witness. Because in your baptism, you witness to the heavenly realms and the company of saints from today. I am his. Now you are his witness. And always look for an opportunity. Ask God. Don't do in your emotions, feelings and all, but ask God. He will lead you to situations where you will be able to, like Philip, please Jesus, talk to, talk to them about Jesus. Because that's God's answer. Everything we are looking for actually is only found in Jesus. Life's answers are all in Jesus. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Everything is in him. All that we need in our life to fulfill the will of God in our life is in Jesus. It's given. It's there. Okay? So keep that in mind. And then from verse 36, the teaching continues. And as they came, went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. So teaching has taken place. He has heard Jesus. He understood the gospel. And when he understood the gospel, there is conviction, there is repentance, there is salvation. Everything is taking place in one line. Okay? Okay? When you are spirit-led, the spirit also works. Okay? Spirit-led. Spirit also worked. Okay? The Bible says in another portion, when Paul and Silas were going to the riverside to pray, to the riverside to pray, what happened? to Riverside to pray what happened. There was the women who were washing clothes. There were the women who were washing clothes. And what happened? God opened Lydia's heart. Salvation is beginning in Philippi. He opened her heart. Okay. So don't worry about witnessing. We cannot open anybody's heart, but God can. God can. Because always people's fear is, how can I convince him? We can't convince anybody about salvation. When it comes to salvation, we cannot convince anybody. But God can. It's not a matter of the intellect. It's a matter first of the heart. If a man believes in his heart, and only God can do that. Only God can do that. So believe. Okay. So here he says, what hinders me from being baptized, okay? He's not getting out. He's not checking the quality of the water, nothing. On the roadside, on that, there is a pond. Okay, we got you good water. 
Sami and Dave and Pastor Vijay, we filled it last night. And this morning there were some insects. I cleaned it all out. Okay. Eunuch wasn't bothered about any of those things. Okay. He said, I see some water here. What stops or what hinders me from getting baptized? Okay. What? And if you look at Philip said, only one thing. This is the only thing you need to know. If you believe with all your heart, you may. Do you believe with all your heart? That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Right? Joan, do you believe? Kritika, do you believe? Mahesh, do you believe? Suchi, do you believe? Prince, yes, I was looking for Prince, do you believe? Yes. Do you believe with all your heart? Okay, that Jesus is the Son of God. It's not an easy thing. No Muslim, no Muslim will confess that. Allah has no children. No Jew will confess that. We are talking about Abrahamic religions. Okay, the others have so many gods. So let's leave the Gentile society. We are talking about Abrahamic religions. They will not accept He is the Son of God. That He came, He died, He rose again. And it's in his work alone my salvation is connected. I can't do anything to be saved. I have to trust him. Do you believe in your heart? This is today and forever. 25 years from now, Kritika, Joanne, or 30 years from now, if the Lord tarries to come, I hope he doesn't tarry so long, but if he tarries to come and you have wonderful life, full of blessings and success and victory and all still, your salvation is dependent upon this one fact. Nothing else counts. Do you believe? Nothing counts for salvation. Only one thing. Do you believe with all your heart? Because we hear so many people, pastors, heartbreaking for us, pastors coming up and saying, I believe no more. And they're just walking away. The Bible says there will be a great falling away from the faith. What is that faith? Believing Jesus is the Savior. He is the Son of God. So this is the only condition that is said. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Okay. This is the confession for baptism. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. Once you are saved, you should get baptized. Okay? You know, repentance is part of it. <coughs> repentance is, a, we saw that in Hebrews 6 and words. So why is repentance a part of it? Because you're believing with all your heart. So if you're believing with your, all your heart, you have to get rid of all the other things. You cannot believe in something with all your heart and also believe in something that is contrary at the same. It's not possible. That is where repentance comes. Repentance from what? Dead works. Doesn't say bad works. Doesn't say bad works. It says dead works. Both good works and bad works. A lot of people look at their bad works and say, oh Lord, I am going to hell. A lot of people look at their good works and say, wow, I'm going to heaven. God says repent from both. Repent from both. Your good works mean nothing for salvation. It may benefit society. may benefit society. But doesn't benefit eternity. Doesn't save your soul. 
That is what repentance means. That's why Jesus says, I have come to save the sinner and not the righteous. Why does he say that? Because there is none who is righteous. There is nobody who is righteous. So no righteous person is there. But if you think you are righteous, God says you cannot be saved. Because to be saved, first you have to acknowledge you are a sinner. That is repentance. Okay, You repent from your dead works. Bad works, good works, everything. I don't put trust in anything. When I believe in Jesus, I am repenting that my evil works will take me to hell. And I am repenting that my good works will take you to because Hinduism is based on that. That is the karmic theory. Your good works will outweigh your bad works. That's why religion does good works. On that day, that balance will swing on your favor. God says it won't. It won't swing on your favor. It won't swing on your favor. So get that very, very clear. Because this is the fundamental premise on on salvation. So there are two primary basic parts of salvation. One is we are saved from the penalty of sin. Penalty of sin. Two, after that, we are being saved from the power of sin. Two parts. Primary two parts. Penalty of sin and power of sin. To actually consciously overcome the power of sin, there is a starting point. And that starting point is what is called baptism. Starting point is called baptism. The victory over the power of sin. And one of the fundamental tools God uses is baptism. It is a part of your obedience that comes by faith. It is not optional. It is not optional. It is a commandment. So commands are not optional. It's not optional. It is a command. In Matthew 28, verse 18 and 19. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, don't get confused because there are, you will usually see two ways people get baptized. They get baptized in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit or they get baptized in the name of Jesus. Both is the same. In the book of Acts, you will see people getting baptized in the name of Jesus because under heaven, God has only one name. That name is Jesus. The name is Jesus. There is no other name. The name is Jesus. So whether you get baptized, because there are groups that go around and they say, how did you get baptized? No, in the name of the Father, the Son of Jesus. Oh, that's not possible. You have to get rebaptized again in the name of Jesus. But both is there in the Bible. Okay. Only thing, don't get baptized in some other name. <laughs> okay. So that is there. Okay. Go to Mark sixteen sixteen. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. See, in the second part of that sentence, it does not use the word baptism. 
What is he implying? That if you don't believe and get baptized, you're still condemned. Still condemned. If you don't believe and you get baptized, I was baptized as a child. Not even a child, I think eight-day-old baby, I was baptized. Or rather sprinkled. I don't know what happened. I need to check with my mother. Sprinkled, water poured or whatever. But I was not saved. I was not saved. I was not saved. Okay? Because to be saved, first condition is you need to be believing. You need to believe first and then be baptized. So what we're doing is a believer's baptize, baptism. Okay? If you look at Jesus, his public witness, you want to call it ministry or his public witness, began after baptism. Till then we don't know, hardly know anything about it. We don't know anything about Jesus except at the age of 12, a tiny encounter in the temple. Okay, other than that, we don't know anything about him. But we start to know about him after he got baptized. After he got baptized, okay? So please remember, after you are baptized, people will start hearing about you, the good, the bad, and the ugly. They will start hearing about you. So be careful. And the portion we saw in Matthew 16 and Matthew, sorry, Mark 16 and Matthew 28, Jesus concludes his ministry on earth by commanding baptism. He began his own witness ministry by first getting baptized. And when he's leaving, he commands one thing to his disciples. It's a command. Okay, there are very few ordinances in the new covenant. And one of them is baptism. Probably one of the most important is baptism. It's not an option. It is not optional. In John chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, like we talk about the wedding of Kana, and your standard line during weddings is by coming to the wedding at Kana, he approved of weddings and marriages in the same way. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard, Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples. So he approved and sanctioned personally baptism. This is the words which most people miss. Because everybody talks about John's baptisms, but we do not realize when Jesus started his ministry, he too started baptizing. This is not John's baptism, okay? This is Jesus baptizing. It's not John baptizing, it's Jesus' disciples baptizing. So you can think about the scene. Jesus is preaching, people are repenting, and then he baptizes them, but rather he stands on the shores of River Jordan, and his disciples are baptizing people. Okay, so look at these pictures, because you will realize why this is important. So, it's a doctrine. It's very, very good and important. You need to know the doctrine behind something you are obeying. You're obeying water baptism today. We usually say, whenever you obey something in scripture, which God has ordained, commanded, you need to look at three things. Primarily three. You can look at more things, passage, which I will always give you seven things. I may give you eight or less. But today we look at three things. First, the method. Second, the meaning. And three, the motive. Method means, how did people get baptized? It matters. Two, 
What is the meaning? Third, why did he ordain something like this? Okay. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 36, you will see there, they went down to the road and they came to some water and the eunuch said, see here is water. What hinders from me being baptized? Okay, so every place where baptism takes place, it is in water. It is not in a wine, it is not in alcohol, it is not in anything. Okay, so these things are important. Okay, like why? Because I'm telling you, when error creeps in, all kind of things start creeping in. Because we have two emblems for communion, that the bread and the wine. Okay, it's always bread and the wine has emblems we use. Okay, there was a particular church in South India where the bishop said you can give sambar and idli also. It doesn't matter, it is emblems. And they did it. They did it. But then you want to push your logic. Jesus shed sambar on this cross. Think about it. What this man is actually saying. What did he shed on his on the cross? It's his blood. And he gave us an emblem. So what he has given, we don't have the right to change. So he has given us a pattern. So everywhere you will see is that there is first, it is water. It is always water. You are baptized in water. You are baptized in water. And if you come further down, 38 and 39. If you believe, yeah, we saw that. Now, 38. So he commanded the chariot to stand still. Both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. And when they came out of the water, they went into the water and they came out of the water. Now, baptism is not an English, it's not a translated word. It's a transliterated word. So baptism is not an English word. Baptism means immersion. Okay, it is immersion. Okay, so when they look for water, they look for water in which he could be immersed. That's why they went to Jordan. They went to Jordan. Okay, that's why Jesus went from Galilee to Jordan, which is 70 miles to get baptized. Okay, because you need to be immersed. We have gone through incredible situations where to get, to get enough water to get people baptized. When I was many years ago in a particular place with a particular underground church, we had to baptize people and it was winter and we thought we'll take them to the river. But the problem is that day when we went for baptism, somebody had died and the body was missing. So the cops were all over the place checking the river for the body. So what could we do? We went up a hill from where a little spring was flowing and we dug a hole, okay, dug a hole into which a person could go in and then turned water into that hole, filled it and allowed first lot to be thrown out because it was muddy and then we baptized the people in that baptized the people in that. In another place where there was no electricity and it was freezing, we had a wooden sauna kind of place like the one outside wooden in which we filled water. But it was so cold, so we heat stones in fire. Heat stones in... Okay. 
Sammy. Okay. We have we do not have internet, so we are working on 4G. So we need to realize people have gone to extremes in Russia and all. They cut the snow and they find deep enough places to baptize people. Why? Because it is written. It is immersion. If it is sprinkling, it's very easy. You don't have to go through all these things. You don't have to go. So remember, get this fundamental. Which manner should I get baptized? One in water, two, I need to be immersed. That's why I said we, we have only two and a half feet of water. So we'll make you sit down so that we are absolutely sure that you are immersed. Okay. Because they could have baptized them in the temple in Jerusalem. It was just sprinkling water. Or they went to Jordan. Okay. Because there's only one method described in the Bible. Even for the Syrian, Naman was going through a kind of Old Testament baptism. He had to dip himself in Jordan seven times. If you change the method, you will change the power associated with it. Okay. Okay. If you change the method, because behind everything that God says, there is power. There is the power of His Holy Spirit. That's why doctrine is important. Doctrine is, doctrine is like the bones in our body. And it's only over bones you can have flesh and muscles and sinews and tendons and all. Where there is no bones, we will just collapse. So in that, that valley of the dead, what you see is bones. So when the Spirit speaks through Ezekiel, it is the bones that come together first. And it is on the bones the flesh and the sinews come together. So we need doctrine. How do I get baptized? Why do we go to such great lengths to baptize people in a particular way? Get that right. So first, after salvation. Second, it is immersion. Okay? It's immersion. To the meaning, Romans 6, 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? What happens? When you get saved, you die to sin. An old life, old ways of life. Now if you go to verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. Come, four, five. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in the newness of life. For we have been united together in the likeness of his death. Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. So basically, baptism is a burial service of the old man. It's a burial service, the funeral service of the old man. Okay. You have died to your sins. What happens with dead bodies? It stinks. 
it stinks. It doesn't matter how much you love that person. You want to bury them fast. <laughs> this was the desire of my eyes. No, it was. Not is, was. Now it stinketh. <laughs> Reason? Every morning, when you wake up in the morning, if you ask the spirit, you will be able to smell your old self. It stinks. It stinks. You shouldn't be happy about your old man. It stinks. He stinks. She stinks. And all you want is to keep it buried. That's why baptism is one time and it is all time. Because every day you should live in the light of your baptism. Reckon yourself dead is what Paul says. Reckon yourself dead. Dead. That's what it is talking about. So baptism is a burial service. It's a burial service. If you look at words, three. Do you not know as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Was aware of it's plural, so where if it is singular, would it be was? I was baptized into his death. That is the past. The old person died. What killed him? Repentance from dead works and faith in Christ killed him. Now he's being buried. The old person was crucified with Jesus Christ 2000 years ago. He died. If you go to verse 4, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. Verse 4, 3 is past, verse 4 is present. If it is not present, we will leave you in the water. It's not a baptism, it is a drowning. You have to come out of the water. So it is not just past. Baptism affects your presence. It affects your present. Why? Because you are coming out into the new, newness of life. Only thing, it's the old body that is coming out, but it's a new man inside. It's a new man that comes out. So he's, the old man is dead, but the new man is alive. So present comes over there in verse 4. In the verse 4, raised up. You are raised up, what? To the newness of life. Jesus did not lie in the grave. He came out of the grave. But the person who came out is not the person who went in. It was a different person. It's not the mortal man who went in, who came out. Who came out was the immortal Christ. Okay. So remember, though it may not look to others, when you go out and when you come out, it is not the same person. You died. That is the past. You are coming out. That is the present. And verse 5. If we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly also we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. It is not just the present. It is the future. When you come out of it, you are proclaiming to the entire universe that one day I will be resurrected. So in the act of baptism, there are so many things which God does. Your past, present and future is connected into that. Your past, I died. Your present, I have come to a newness of life. And what am I proclaiming? By this very act I am proclaiming, one day I will be resurrected from the dead. 
So it's a, it's a huge, it's a huge day for these five children. It's a big day. Okay. It's a big day. So when Jesus rose from the dead, he rose in a new body. And when we all rise from the dead, we will rise in a new body. So this is just a type of something that will happen one day. Happen one day. And we know that in Thessalonians, Corinthians 15 and all, it talks about the resurrection in the twinkling of an eye, a fraction of a second. The corruptible will become incorruptible. We receive a new body. Everything happens. Right? And if you look at it, that's what salvation is like. In the name of Jesus, it just takes a few seconds. But it transforms you forever. You are dead, rising to a new life, and you are proclaiming, I will be resurrected one day. Death has lost its power over me. I fear death no more. Death no more. And in the heavenlies, you are marked out now. Because the devil knows you have identified yourself with Christ Jesus. So get ready for trouble. So it is past, present and future. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. And Jesus rose again. Go to First Corinthians 15 verses 1 to 4. I want to read that. Very powerful. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received, and which you stand, by which you also are saved. If you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Look at that. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. What is the entire gospel? Jesus died, Jesus was buried, Jesus was resurrected. Do you know the baptism service is a gospel service? I died, I was buried, and I have risen again. That is why in every country which is hostile to Christianity, they watch out for baptisms. They know when somebody gets baptized, it means they are serious about it. Because your believing can be kept very secret. But baptism means you have identified. Identified. Okay? You have changed from, from one thing to something else. So please keep this in mind. Luke 6, uh, sorry, Romans 6 and verse 5. If we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. What is the repeated word there? Likeness, meaning method matters. Method matters. Because we are not dying like him. We are, we are not dead like him physically, but in the likeness of his death. Likeness. So, most of us who come from Christian families, we got baptized a second time. Either we were sprinkled, or we got baptized, or others got baptized without believing. Okay, so one of these two took place. So, almost all of us had to get baptized, which was a genuine baptism. Romans 6.4 
Therefore we were buried with him through baptism unto death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. Baptism does not save you. Listen carefully. Baptism does not. It just proclaims you are saved. This ring does not make me married. It proclaims that I am married. Okay. It proclaims I am married. Okay. Now, there are people who like imitating. Okay. And it's good to imitate good things. Like I know some places and I, have, I see brethren saying, Pastor, I have started wearing my wedding ring on my right hand. Usually everybody wears on their left hand. I said, but why do you wear it on your right? Because you are wearing it. I said, dude, this is loose on this one. <laughs> From me, it will come off. That's why I'm wearing on the right hand. So when you imitate, imitate something <laughs> which has meaning and purpose. <laughs> okay? So, okay, Wedding is for a day. Marriage is for a lifetime. Everybody prepares and gets into debt for a wedding. <laughs> but nobody prepares for the marriage. No, They make so much preparation for the wedding and leave all the troubles of the marriage on us. So we have to counsel them and counsel them and counsel them. <laughs> stay together, stay together, stop fighting, stay together. If they had come to us for the marriage, wedding would have been very cheap. <laughs> okay. So, in the same way, okay, your baptism in so many ways is your, is a type of your wedding day that will happen. So, you're preparing for a life forever with Christ. Okay. You're going to live with him forever. With him, for him, forever. Christ is the bridegroom. Church is the bride. Until confusion came in. They call it gender confusion. They call it transition. We call it confusion. Okay. For centuries, thousands of years, there was no confusion. When a woman got married, okay, when a woman was born, a girl was born, uh, she had her father's name. And when she got married, she had her husband's name. Right? That was the way it was. So the church is a woman. So when she gets married to Jesus Christ, she gets his name. Okay. She gets his name. That's why we baptize people in his name. Because the church primarily is a woman. She's the bride of Christ. So when you get baptized, you are being joined with him. When you get joined with him, you get his name. It is his name you are receiving. Your identity is completely submerged in him. Now you are living with him and for him. You are not living for yourself. All sisters get that very clearly. Okay, You live for your husbands. <coughs> <laughs> okay. Get pictures because this will keep you calm. See, there is one thing about scripture. 
one thing about scripture with jesus said it cannot be broken i will tell you something about the stone jesus said he kept in jerusalem if you break scripture scripture will break you telling you whether you are a man or woman or a child you break scripture scripture will break you but if you keep scripture scripture will keep you okay keep you so we have this picture so because why we have to be become actually very radical in these things because there is so much confusion in the world about these things laws of every country are being changed based on gender and we'll say i have no confusion about those those laws don't apply to me anymore why because i am dead to this world i live for christ and his laws are written in the tablet of my heart and i will just follow it i am good i am good okay so get these pictures because it's a wedding it's a wedding it only proclaims who you are or whose you are Are you getting it? So in the same way, we have Sammy sitting here, we have Avinar sitting here, we have uh, Harry sitting over here. Now if they all come wearing a wedding ring, think for a minute, these three wear a wedding ring. And they walk on the streets, and they will look and oh, these boys are married. But we will laugh at them. we will laugh at them so when you get baptized i don't know in the heavenlies they will know whether you are saved or not whether you are married to him or not no man can get into your heart and know whether you believe or not so when you say pastor i want to get baptized we will say do you believe and you say yes we take you on your word and we baptize you but in the heavenlies you don't get fooled you don't get fooled right sammy can go to college wearing a wedding ring all his classmates will think he's married but when he comes to church he will take it off <laughs> right okay so the simple thing is be genuine when you get into the world don't take your wedding ring off don't act as if you were not baptized as if you were not dead to the old person and to the basic principles of this world be genuine and that's a process that is what post that the sanctification is making us into one whole person but get these things right in your head because lot of people struggles is simply because they choose not to die in their baptism that's what paul says i know the struggle but he says reckon yourself dead every day every day get up in the morning and make these confessions to yourself you know what i am dead i am dead i no longer love christ loves in me christ loves in me okay christ loves in me okay because it's very difficult in the 21st century to talk these principles by using examples because examples have changed <laughs> because in the old days like in when i grew up whether in my home or in my grandfather's home 
the first person who always woke up was either my mother or my grandmother. And from the time they woke up, they were not thinking about themselves. They were never thinking about themselves. From the time they got up, they were always thinking about what do we need to make for my husband to make his life. That's how they were thinking. Okay. So God put this pattern so that we understand the spiritual principle that from the time you wake up, what you think is, how do I please my Savior? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But where faith begins, sight has to die. Unless sight dies, faith can, cannot begin. Because there are only two ways to walk. Either you walk by sight or you walk by faith. So sight is the old man is alive. Faith is the new man is alive. So today we are killing the old man. Positionally, we are killing the old man. Functionally, it starts after you get out of the water. And you will need all the help you can get from God and his word and his church. And his church. Okay? So today, you have to be even more careful. You've been hearing the messages. I will not be offended. Why? Because God will correct you more after today. And you have to realize, oh, the correction it's about that old man who died on August the 13th. And that old man is what my daddy is seeing. My mommy is seeing. Okay. Thank you. That old man should die. That's why I keep saying, dead dogs don't bite. Dead dogs don't bite. Why? What happened in the waters of baptism? You died. So when you are upset or offended, you need to ask yourself, who is offended? Because after baptism, things will change. It has to change. That's the reality and the truth of your baptism. Your level of forgiveness. Why? Because the new man does not withhold forgiveness. Because he is a result of receiving God's mercy. And God's forgiveness. So he will never withhold forgiveness because his real creation itself is a result of forgiveness. The old man will, because the old man was never forgiven. There's no solution to the old man. Old man cannot be forgiven. It's only one thing you can do with the old man, execution. So that's how Jesus puts these patterns if you throw the gospel. Why are you angry? Why are you offended? Why don't you forgive? Because he's all directing to us. The old man doesn't do these things. The new man's life is completely different. And he is not just a teacher on the cross. He's not offended. On the cross, he's the most forgiving person. He's not angry. Three primary. The way where the enemy touches us, our flesh, we are angry, we are offended, we refuse to let go. On the cross, he's not angry. If somebody could be angry, it was he who could be angry. Because he's not guilty at all. Absolutely sinless. He's not angry. He's not offended. And he's forgiving. You know why? Because he was dead to his flesh. Do you know when he died? Officially to his flesh? Or to his flesh? On the day he was baptized by John. In River Jordan. And the Spirit of God, the Bible says, led him up 
into the wilderness to be tested of the Holy Spirit. Why? Show to them that you really died in your baptism. Show before I can send you out into ministry. Prove that your flesh is dead. And he proved his flesh is dead. You can't do anything to me. Can't do anything to me. Okay. And you have to believe these things. Okay. We can't love like him, sinless, but we have increasing power over the power of sin. Okay. That's how you check yourself. But the starting point of every day is reckon yourself dead. You have to reckon. You have to consider. Reckon is an old, old KJV word. I love it. But consider, and I will use the word, consider yourself dead. It's very difficult when you are leaving. How do I consider myself dead? But he says, that's it. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice. How can a sacrifice be living? But that's the way you love. You consider yourself dead. And you offer yourself every day as a living sacrifice. And they will realize, you know what? Baptism is a very, very powerful institution. Expect to be hated by the world. And not loved by the world. Expect to be misunderstood by the world. Don't expect to be understood by the world. They won't understand you. Because they don't realize. You see, when you go back to your school and college tomorrow, they don't realize something happened in the water. When they look at you, you look at the same old person. But you're not the same old person. Same old person. Okay? So, expect to be misunderstood. Don't expect to be loved by the world. You don't have to go and ask for the hatred of the world also. <laughs> You just have to be a true witness. That's all. You just have to be a true, true witness. Matthew 3, 15. Two more verses we will look and then we will go into baptism. And Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for it is thus fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So John is telling you should baptize him. Not the other way. Jesus said, no, permit it. Permit it. I mean, you can, it's, 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 it's really, really, no, I, I cannot use an illustration. How can I use an illustration in our lifetime? Think, think, uh, the older generation, uh, think Zach Munan, think Charles Stanley is 89, uh, they're all in their 80s. Who else do you know? In their 80s. Think Charles Stanley and Zach Winnan comes here and says, Pastor James, would you baptize me? And I would say, oh, you, oh, you should be baptizing me. What are you saying? I hear this. Okay. What are you saying? I baptize him. That's what John is saying. What are you saying? Me baptizing. And he says, permitted to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. Okay. Now please remember this. When Jesus got baptized, he identified with us. He was sinless and he identified with the sinner. When we get baptized, we the sinner is getting identified with him. 
Okay. Why is this important? Hebrews 2, 10 and 11. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all one, for which reason he is not is not ashamed. He was not ashamed to identify with us. So the question is, are you ashamed to identify with him? And you will know it tomorrow. Okay, tomorrow we are all together on Sunday. When you go back into the world, you will know. He said, if you are ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. From the day he got baptized, that is, he's stepping into where we see him. Till his death on the cross, he's saying, I'm not ashamed of you. And everything I'm going through is for you. Even the shame of the cross is for you because I'm not ashamed of my brother. And the question God says is, once you come out of your baptism and you're identified and the devil start creating all the trouble in your life through the flesh and blood, will you be ashamed of him? Will you be ashamed? Why I'm saying is you need to understand the manner, the method, the purpose, the meaning. What am I going through? What am I going through? Yes. So baptism is like a wedding vow, forsaking all others. Now why? Leave, cling to you. Okay? You will look back and you will remember one day. You will look back and remember one day. Okay, I got baptized here in Sikandarabad in that uh, tank at uh, Methodist Church in Sikandarabad. A church I was in hired that tank and I got baptized here. Okay, And baptism changed my life. Okay, Baptism changed my life. After I got over you, Okay, pray over you, and then of course, I will pray. Who are if there are your pastor with you who baptizes will pray over you, and then when you come out, remember you have a new name. Let in your you let in your um, birth certificate. Let that old re- name remain. Okay, because that is for the world. That is for the world. But remember, you have a. I'm telling you. In the underground churches, that's how we function. Okay. If I go back to my old churches where I ministered, I don't know most of them by their actual names. I know them only by their underground church names. That's how you identify each other. Okay. Identify each other. Because if you know their other names, it's just a worldly name. But when they got baptized, they were given another name. And that is the name by which we communicate. Well, the world doesn't know that name at all. At all. I still remember when I first went into one of the countries and I didn't know nobody. And I had to meet a believer. And I didn't know who it was. And somebody called and said, you go down. Which hotel are you staying? I'm staying. He said, go down in the corridor. There is a STD booth, PCO. And there will be a sister sitting over there. Uh, she runs it uh, and said, her name is Ruth. That's not her name. 
Her name is something else. Okay, that's that which I found later. So I went over there, I looked her and said, Jemasi is Ruth. And she was shocked. Who is this stranger who knows my identity? <laughs> okay. But it also was the key that you don't have to be afraid. He is part of the same family. Family. Okay. So we give you a name. We give. It does not mean the name your parents gave you was bad or anything like that. Okay. Absolutely not. Okay. So we have 